Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. On this week's show, myself, Steve English and David Emmett will talk about the Sepang winter tests and also some world superbike testing in Jerez and Portimao. David, you're just home from Sepang and a very interesting couple of days over there. Uh, it was extremely interesting. There was uh, an awful lot to see, um, an awful lot of uh, uh, interest about the track as well because, the, the first of all, it looked like there wasn't going to be any testing because of the rain. Um, there'd been some testing before, which had been called off. Uh, the track is still sort of not draining because it hasn't been hot enough. Um, so it was just uh, it was just fascinating, and then you know weather turned good, and uh, people went fast. Surprising people went fast. Um, really well, well worth uh, well worth going. Yeah, and it looked Dave like the uh, first couple of days, especially it was everyone just finding their feet again and uh, just trying to get used to everything. If you look at the times from the first day, it really looked like Honda and particularly Marquez were struggling a little bit. But uh, by the end of the test, obviously Marquez came good. But uh, it was really himself and Vinales that were the the two keys to the test for most of us watching at home. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the headline times, then Vinales was the absolute star of the test. Uh, he was fastest on uh, Monday and Wednesday. Uh, Iannone obviously was fastest on the uh, on the Tuesday, but that was the day that Iannone really went for the time, uh, went for the time, and the rest were not really pushing for it. Again, uh, well, on Monday it didn't really look like Marquez was it looked like previous tests as well, where Honda has been in trouble. They've uh, struggled. They've still again they've managed to build an engine which is too powerful. In fact, they came with two engines. They came with two different uh, uh, two different engines this time. Both of them big bank on configurations. Standing out trackside, I couldn't hear any difference between the, the various bikes going around. So there must be there must be very subtle. Uh, they had two different engine configurations, and one was a little bit more powerful than uh, than the other one. One was sort of you know top end. The other one was bottom end, and they were trying to figure out which one to use. Yeah, and David. Obviously, we also had a test after the Valencia Grand Prix last year at Arath, a three day test. The Repsol boys didn't sit uh, that test. It was Jack Miller did the Honda running, and at the time we all said that uh, you know it looked like uh, you know maybe Honda just didn't want to use those days with uh, Pedroza and Marquez because they couldn't find the solution. But uh, over the course of the three days in uh, in Malaysia, what sort of progress did they make with? with it? I think they did make clear progress. I think also because, as you say, when we were at Hreth, uh, it looks like they were going to be in a lot of uh, difficulty. It looked like they had a few problems figuring out. Uh, which engine they were get, they were going to use? Last minute decision not to send Pedrosa and and Marquez down to her, down to Jerez, which sort of suggested that there was uh, an issue with the engine. The engine wasn't as developed as it should have been. The engine at uh, Sepang again they used two engines. There was no real clear decision on which engine to use, but they were much stronger at the end of the test. That um, Marquez basically said, you know, when we were asking about this, saying, you know, are you in the same hole that you were this time last year? He said no, no, no. Uh, Honda's a lot better. It's in, um, it's in, it's in much stronger shape. It's just that it looks, you know, it doesn't look as good. Yeah, and Dave, we saw on his race run in particular just how strong he was. Yeah, he's the the the. If you actually dive into the times and look at uh, look at race pace, his race pace is just phenomenal. To me, 
digging into the times and again it's something i'm sort of working on at the moment is is actually digging into the times into the into the details of the times and he is significantly faster marcus is significantly faster than anyone uh, except perhaps vinales uh, but his race pace looked really really strong especially on the last day the first day they were doing a lot more testing they spent a lot of time on the first day on electronics which is why i think uh, they didn't look so good on the first day, but um, uh, by Tuesday and Wednesday, especially uh, the, you know the, the the last day Wednesday, we got almost a full day of testing in, and it allowed them to actually get an awful lot of work done. Uh, they weren't really working much on chassis; it was just sorting out the new engine. And as I say, by the end of the day, uh, they were looking really, really good. Yeah, and David, um, you had uh, in your roundup from the test, you have it down as. The 25 versus the 93, is that how you see the season going now, just on the basis of the Valencia test and then this test? I, um, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously jumping to far too, way too premature conclusions, then you'd have to say that either, once again, the, the, the title is Marquez is to lose. Um, Maverick really is quick, a lot quicker than... Um, uh, I suppose even I expected. I mean, obviously we're all uh, uh, all aboard the hype train for for, for Maverick, but um, he really does look like he's actually going to live up to the uh, uh, live up to it. Uh, he was quick throughout. He was he was also consistent. Um, he had the most uh, uh, laps in the one fifty nines, more than anyone else. Uh, he also had a lot of uh, a lot of two minute zero laps, even though. Um, Marquez had more two minute zero laps I think Marquez's race pace is, is, is fractionally better um, but Maverick is going to be there uh, he also he just looked fantastic out on the bike he just looked really really comfortable he just you know he looked like he was completely in control um, looked really happy yeah I always find it quite interesting with Vinales just for you know how he came up through the ranks and just that immediate speed that he has but two years into his GP career what I found probably most interesting was Neil did a, a piece on him for Motocourse this year and uh, there was a lot of interesting quotes from some of the people that have worked with him and one of them was that uh, when Vinales would come in at the end of any session on the Suzuki he'd have a look at the times and uh, his first thing was just to check where Mark was even though obviously the Honda is a much more competitive bike so I think this year it's going to be really interesting to see just how competitive Vinales is and just that drive just to beat Marquez I think it's probably going to be more important to him to beat Marquez rather than to beat Rossi in his own head uh, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. But then again, you know, Mark is the reigning champion. Um, uh, you know, Mark has been uh, Marcus has been champion for three of the last four years. So uh, uh, yeah, if you want to be champion, then uh, beating Mark Marquez is the is the very first step that you take. The other thing is that because um, uh, Neil was at the uh, at the Yamaha launch in Madrid, and one of the things that uh, Vinales said to the Spanish journalists was um, he had spent the winter going through the timesheets and examining the timesheets and trying to figure out how Marquez actually managed to win a title last year. And he spent all of his time looking at uh, exactly how consistent he had been. And that was the most important, that was for him the most impressive thing. And again, all, all Vinales talked about, I didn't talk too much about the sort of, you know, the engine or the bike or all the rest of it, or the fancy new sort of duct wings, which, uh, uh, which Yamaha rolled out on the last day of the test. Uh, all he talked about was, yeah, been working on uh, going fast on a used tyre. That was the only thing that he's been that he's been working on. So, um, uh, really, very, very obvious. On you know, his aim his aim is just to 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 win races, and you win races in the second half of the race by saving your tyre. And David, just looking at the other side of the Yamaha garage, how's the dynamic been between 
Rossi and Vinales. Like obviously in this test, from a headline perspective, Rossi's only sixth fastest. But uh, you know, what did you see in Malaysia from the two of them? Well, I mean, you know, Rossi's as Rossi's Rossi's as strong as he uh, is as strong as he ever was, and of course, it's not racing. And so uh, on Sundays, Rossi finds that extra sort of tenth, tenth and a half, which is the difference between racing for the podium and racing for the win. Uh, so we shall have to wait and see. But it, again, he looks really strong. He was really happy with the Yamaha, with the work that the Yamaha had done. Um, they've done an awful lot on the bike. Um, the engine is much stronger. Uh, it, they did, he said it didn't really feel like they were short on um, uh, they were short on power so much anymore because they last year they complained an awful lot about uh, about a lack of top end. Um, he was happy with the uh, improvements to braking and braking stability, which they'd uh, which had been a little bit lacking. So really, I think it was probably the happiest I've heard uh, Valentino Rossi with a bike for several uh, for several probably since he actually came back to uh, came back to Yamaha so um i think rossi is going to be a factor but again the the trouble is first of all to win a to win a 10th title he's got to beat um, um mark marquez and uh, now he's also got to beat Maverick Vinales, and beating Maverick Vinales is not going to be easy this year. Well, it could be uh, could be a good year for it, though, Dave. On account of that, you look at Roger Federer won the Australian Open a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you look at uh, Tom Brady's thirty nine playing for the Super Bowl. We're recording this just before that game kicks off. Maybe it's the year for the old dog. Uh, you know, anything can happen. But just looking at Marquez's race pace, I find it hard to write anyone else off. Uh, you know, to, or, or he's going to be so difficult to beat. He's such a, he's in such strong form. It, it, it's just, uh, yeah, I, it, it's going to be really tough to actually beat, uh, to beat Mar Marquez this year. So we shall see. But, you know, we had a, an interest, we had nine winners last year. I don't think we're going to have nine winners this year, but, um, it's racing. You know, the, the championship isn't over until we get to the end of the, uh, end of the season. So anything, anything could happen. But Rossi will need a little bit of luck to, um, actually beat both Marquez and Vinales. See, Dave, you mentioned the nine winners there. Myself and Neil were actually talking about this. Uh, just at the weekend, I was over in Barcelona and um, we were talking about, uh, you know, you could easily see nine winners again this year. Um, well, you see, I think we had nine year winners last year because, uh, I mean, the, the weather played a big role in it. There was there was a lot of wet races. That was in part due to sort of the after effects of the El Nino that confused things a lot. And also, uh, you know, it was Michelin's first year back in the class. They had their, they were messing around with their tires. They didn't really the teams weren't completely hundred percent with the tires yet. You know, we're a year on. We are going to Michelin have got their tires down much much better than they had last year. Uh, the teams have got a lot more information about it from uh, from last year. So I think the opportunity for surprises is going to be a little bit more limited. Even though I reckon the field is deeper because the Suzuki is a better package, the Aprilia is that little bit closer, uh, the Ducati is definitely a better package. You know, there's just um, so there's lots of chances for it. Yeah, because for me, like w when we were looking at it, you think both Yamahas, both Hondas, both Ducatis. You put in Ianone. Cal showed like at the end of the day, his performances, particularly Silverstone and Phillip Island, were so strong. Um, and then you add in if it's wet, Jack is always going to be a threat in the wet. And then even like when you look down through the timesheets, it's just so close and competitive right now. It really is a, as as strong a field as we've ever seen in the Premier class. 
Yeah, absolutely. He's just incredibly strong. And if you look at um, how many riders there were in the top, uh, what was it, within a second of each other? Um, there was the, 16, I think. Yeah, yeah, basic, yeah. Basically, there were 16 riders within a, within a second of each other, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And the gaps are absolutely just tiny. They're absolutely tiny. So all week... Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the field was just very, very close. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be tight. And it's going to be those small little details which are going to make the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, we saw Ducati win races last year, David, but obviously the big move ahead of the new season is Lorenzo going on to the Ducati. And on the first day in Sepang, he really did look like he was struggling, but he, uh, he got himself going as the weekend progressed. Yeah, he, he absolutely was. He said he was absolutely shocked at the end of the uh, uh, at the end of the first day because he hadn't been expecting to to struggle so much because um, he'd been so fast at uh, Valencia. The bike had he'd been so comfortable. He knew that he still has some, some adapting to do, but he is so fast at Valencia. Uh, obviously, he just got off the Yamaha from the race where he where he'd won the day before. He say so he he was really really comfortable in himself, and he gets on a bike, and the bike is decent, and um, and he's riding around at a track which suits him, and so he felt he was quick. Uh, Sepang is a completely different bike, or it is a completely different circuit. There's some sort of tightish hairpins there uh, where he was really struggling. He was really struggling to adapt to his braking. What was amazing was he slept on it, and the next day he was, uh, I think, something like a almost a second quicker. He knocked a massive chunk of time off of um, off the first and second days. And I went out and on the Wednesday went out and watched him into turn one, turn two, turn three. And uh, he looked completely at ease, looked completely comfortable. It was um, quite impressive to see. And Dave, we saw um, Pramac release a video about just how much, I think it was Scott Redding they showed in the video, how much he uses the rear brake through the lap. And I think Lorenzo said that uh, in the course of this test in Valencia, that's one of the areas where he's been trying to improve himself and try and use that a bit more. Yeah, well, because he's having to change his braking style. He's having to brake sort of much deeper into the corner, whereas before on the Yamaha, what he do, what he would do is um, release the brakes much earlier and then roll into the corner uh, and use the corner speed. But the Ducati is so much stronger on the brakes than the Yamaha was, um, and it needs to be sort of squared off a lot more. And so he was sort of trying to figure it out. Um, uh, he actually had a thumb brake fit to one of the bikes, but he didn't actually go out and, and use that thumb brake there was a few others who did uh, who, who did use it because um uh, again you know just you've run out of uh, you run out of space on the uh, um, space with your foot you have to choose you can't move your foot around you there, there are such extreme angles and Dave just uh, looking at uh, the other Ducati riders it was Bautista was probably the one that surprised most but uh, we saw Casey back on the bike as well and uh, as fast as ever really yeah, exactly. I mean, what was amazing was that Casey gets on on Monday and he, um, because he already he had done probably about 20 laps in the, um, uh, in three days of pre-testing, but that has, that had been very, very wet and, uh, difficult. Um, I think he'd ridden on two days there, but only done, done perhaps a total of 10, uh, 10 laps on each day just because the, the, the track was so difficult. Uh, but even then he was just, you know, immediately up to speed, immediately quick. Spoke to Dovi on the Monday and Dovicioso said basically, um, you know, yeah, it's amazing that he's so quick. Uh, he probably couldn't race because, you know, he just doesn't have the, the, the race fitness that you need. But then, you know, Stoner, Stoner was more than clear that he has, he has absolutely no interest in racing anymore. Um, uh, riding the bike is, he said, it's work. 
uh, you know, fun, but it's still work. It's not, uh, it's not what he wants to do. Yeah, and I think uh, when you talk about the fitness side of it as well, if you remember when Neil Hudson did his piece with Ducati last year for BT Sport, he showed just how much, even just in the last 10 years, like a MotoGP bike has moved on. But even since Stroner retired, we've seen just how much physically uh, more demanding they are now as well. And, you know, it's just that thing of whether or not uh, you want to get yourself back into race fitness, whether or not you want to put up with, you know, all that goes along with racing. And Stoner clearly just still wants to just have... Have the the joy of riding the bike every now and then, but uh, none of the none of the inherent pressure that goes along with it. Set the fastest time. Doesn't even have to talk to you, Dave. Seems like a pretty good day at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He was uh, he was uh, very carefully uh, protected. Um, he only spoke at certain uh, given moments. Uh, he was you know as instructive as ever whenever he w- when he did speak. Uh, again, making it clear why or making it obvious why why Ducati actually employ him because when he explains things in technical terms um he is absolutely spot on he's just just brilliant at uh, um, explaining what's going on but yeah i mean it's perfect for him he gets paid what i suspect is a uh, quite a large sum probably probably more than you and me combined to, to just taking a guess probably probably a little bit more than that even the dorna wage is very competitive dave but <laughs> i think it's fair to say that uh Stoner's probably earning more than most of the riders on the MotoGP grid just to turn up for a few days in Malaysia every now and then. Yeah, that's uh, yes, that's right. And to uh, stand near a Ducati and wave and um, and sell a few bikes. But uh, yes, he probably is earning a, a fair whack. So yeah, I mean, you know, he, he does well. He uh, he sells you know he sells bikes. He gets to ride bikes and um, uh, he gets paid a a tidy little sum for it. And uh, Dave, we saw on the back of the uh, Ducati, there was obviously a couple of new bits and pieces on the bikes for this week, but we saw on the back of the Ducati, I think it's the the salad box seems to be the the popular way of calling it, but uh, any ideas on it? There's about a million different uh, <laughs> uh, different theories for it, but, but absolutely nobody knows. My own particular theory is that there's not much in it. When you look at it, it it's obviously fairly sort of light and uh, lightweight. It's it's a basically carbon fiber box that they've got up there. Uh, they've rerouted the exhaust to cope with it, so it, clearly it's doing something. Um, what? It contains something. I suspect that what they've done is they've moved a relatively light component from on the bike somewhere into the tail and then used the uh, space which that has freed up to put something heavier to, you know, move the weight distribution around to to change the balance of the bike. But I have absolutely no proof of this um, and we'll have to wait until somebody... Um, uh, uh, trashes a bike and rips the accidentally rips the uh, rips the fairings off, and then um, uh, some friendly cameraman zooms in and shows us the details that we're uh, desperate to see. Yeah, that's that's the way I'd look at it as well. It's in all likelihood something like that, as far as I'd be concerned. But uh, I definitely liked uh, Marak these thoughts that it's a gyroscope in the in the back of the bike to try and control the wheelie. We see that on uh, things like uh, jet missiles. Where basically once you you start to fire the the missile, it'll spool up uh, a gyro and just allow that then to give it a bit more direction and control. So you know it's a good idea, and uh, I definitely wouldn't rule out Gigi coming up with something like that. But uh, we won't know for a while yet exactly what's happening. But Dave, we saw as well just uh, in a much less of a surprise, we saw just the uh, the new fairings as well. Yamaha ran them this week. Maybe it was a surprise to see them running this early, but I think it's the kind of idea that everyone expected them to be running. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly what everyone is going to be running when they do finally turn up with their final fairings. Uh, basically, it's a, uh, if you like, it's like a duct on the side with uh, with a couple of wings actually internally inside the duct. Uh, it does exactly the same thing. It provides uh, downforce, uh, but it does so without sort of sticking out and creating any danger. Um, uh, I was at the Ducati launch and Gigi Delinia sort of said, uh, well, he talked around the uh, aerodynamics and sort of pretended to uh, tried not to give a, anything away um he said he didn't really expect anything to come out until later on uh, and we were all really most surprised that yamaha actually showed their hand so early we weren't expecting to see it uh, until maybe qatar but then again you might as well test it now uh, Sepang again it's got a couple of really good uh, th there's no point testing it in Phillip Island because there's no really slow hairpins where you accelerate hard out of um, uh, uh, at Sepang you've got a, a couple of you know slow hairpins where you are accelerating hard and where you would hope to get some benefit from the uh, uh, from those sort of aerodynamics so uh, I think Yamaha decided to play their hands early in the hope of getting sort of a head start on everyone else yeah, because for me, like it, it's it's the kind of part that uh, everyone knows what everyone's going to end up doing with it. It's not exactly new aero. Like we've seen that kind of thing in Formula One a lot in the past. Um, even things like flexible wings, where you'd see the the front wings mold with the uh, with the downforce that's added on them. So you know something like this probably isn't. Uh, it's not as if anyone suddenly looked at it from Honda and said, "Jesus, we need to have that in our bike." It's as you say, Dave exactly what you would have expected everyone to run but uh, maybe what wasn't quite so expected was the performance of some of the rookies as well Dave we saw I think at the end of the week Zarco, Rins and Folger were all in the top 15 yeah exactly I mean um, I was uh, very impressed by Zarco and uh, uh, and Folger um, Zarco had a big crash in uh, at Sepang at the private test in November and he said the first thing for him was just to get his uh, confidence back and he had a bit of a difficult day on the Monday on Tuesday it rained uh, sort of overnight and then it was damp and the only people who were out were Lorenzo and Zarco and Zarco basically took a wet tyre out and rode it to destruction and used the uh, basically because because the rain tyres cut up the, the the rubber moves around a little bit more and it makes it a little bit easier to understand the feedback of, of, of what the bike is doing and where the limit is and all the rest of it um, uh, Zarco used that to get a good understanding of the bike and he made huge steps on Tuesday and, and again was just really really strong uh, I think he ended up something like 11th on the Wednesday at the end of the test um, also he was consistent worked on his braking did really well Valentino Rossi was extremely uh, complimentary about both rookies uh, uh, or well all of the rookies at the end of the test especially the Tech 3 uh, boys said he was uh, they both did really well said he was impressed he rode for a little while behind uh, Jonas Folger and said he was impressed by the way that he was riding so I think this is probably the strongest sort of rookie class that we've had for quite some time uh it's going to be interesting to see how well they get yeah it's, it 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 i think it could be one of those years where uh, we get a few surprising results from the rookies as well if you look back uh, probably the last like really strong rookie class would have been 2006 yes yeah probably yeah you yeah know, so exactly it's, it's about time there where we see you know in this case we've got uh you know sam lowes was also with the test and David he made a lot of progress through the week but uh, no real headline times I think he was on the hard tyre for most of the week and just trying to focus on race runs and trying to learn 
a lot about the bike after missing the Valencia test. Yeah, but if you look at what uh, uh, what Sam Lowe's, uh, both him and and Alex Rins, um, uh, they look. Uh, you know they 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 look a little bit anonymous because they're a, l- a little bit way you know a little way down on the timesheets. But uh, both of them actually made uh, really a lot of progress, got a lot closer to the front. Um, uh, at the end, uh, Alex Rins ended up uh, you know on the last day he was as fast as his teammate, which really impressed me because I was judging on his times at uh, at uh, Valencia he was really really slow, but um, he made an awful lot of progress this time uh, this test. Uh, again, Sam Lowe's all Sam Lowe's was doing was trying to figure the bike out um the aprilia is uh better than it was last year but it still has a few problems um uh, mostly a lack of horsepower is what uh, alicia spargaro was was talking about so yeah for 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 those to end up where he was to actually make the progress that he did um it's it's impressive it's i mean it's going to be it's a but it's a really tough class for the uh it's going to be a really tough uh, class for the rookies is it, you know it's going to be a real a real battle to for, for rookie of the year yeah and this is the thing uh, we were talking to Hervé about it Hervé Poncharal at uh, Valencia where with 12 factory bikes out in the grid you know, you could have some of the factory riders scrambling for a point and that being a good day for them oh, yeah but- absolutely I mean the thing is it's the same for all of them um, uh, we've got six factories uh, we've got three really really strong factories we've got another factory in Suzuki who is uh, which is also, you know, totally getting there. Also, very, very strong. And uh, again, Ianoni was uh, was quick and impressive. Um, didn't have much to to, to test, but um, he was still he was quick nonetheless. Uh, we've got Aprilia, which has made big progress. The bike is lighter and better than it was last year, but just lacks a bit of horsepower. Uh, so they've got to find a little bit of power. Uh, and we've got KTM, who were on the first year of their uh, of their return to MotoGP. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you have have a bad day now um uh, you know even if maverick or mark or uh, uh, or valentino any of the any of the top riders if they have a bad day they can end up sort of finishing sort of ninth or tenth rather than fourth or fifth yeah and uh, you mentioned ktm there david and it was paul and bradley were both the exact same time over the the course the combined times but uh, paul definitely seemed a lot happier over the course of the test just being able to ride a lot more aggressively than he was uh, doing with the Yamaha said that the bike seems like one that should suit his style yeah but I mean that was the one thing that he always complained about and especially with the uh, especially with the Bridgestone tyres he really uh, hated the fact that you had to be um, the 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 Yamaha on the Bridgestone was basically the, the slow you tried to ride, the faster you went, and vice versa. Um, so there was no trying, no point trying to push. The, the 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 more you tried to push the bike, the slower you went. Um, and the KTM doesn't work like that at all. The KTM, I mean, again, going out and standing trackside, it it looked proper Larry. It looked like a proper. Um, uh, race bike as in you know terrifying and it's about to throw you off or po- uh, uh, at any point it was moving around a lot um but uh, uh, Paul certainly seemed to enjoy riding it a lot more um said it, it it felt better because you know the 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 harder you pushed it the 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 faster it went and also all of the changes that they made whenever they made a change to the bike uh, the, the the changes made sense so the change would actually um uh you know the 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 change would improve the bike or it, it, the, the 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 bike would behave exactly as they as they expected it to, uh, to behave so um it's going to be a long year for uh, uh, for ktm but uh, you know it kept 
KTM win everything they enter. So uh, at some point, you're gonna they're gonna get there. Yeah, because that's exactly what uh, I think. Uh, whenever Bradley was able to talk at the Hareth test. And he was able to just talk about how anytime they made those changes, it all worked in a predictable manner. It all worked exactly as they expected. And now it's just a case of just uh, making those steps forward with the development of the bike. But uh, we saw um, a couple of crashes over the course of the test as well. Dave, Tito Rabat obviously had a a pretty heavy crash. Yeah. But um, what was the main feeling with the riders, with the Michelins? Obviously at Valencia last year, we saw them try a new tyre. Uh, well, the uh, basically the tires, the, the the front tire which they had at um, at Sepang was the front tire which they had used for the race in um, uh, at Valencia, and what surprised me was actually how few crashes there were. I mean, Tito had a really big crash, but that was more of a uh, you know typical high side, uh, just going through the corner, and, um, uh, and it was also a little bit in the, in the sketchy conditions. The rear coming around and throwing him off, and uh, unfortunately, I think he broke a, a bone in his wrist and in, in his foot, and he'll probably miss the test in uh, Phillip Island. Um, but apart from that, there were very few crashes i think ian only crashed maybe two or three times again it was just the front just pushing away from him while he was uh trying to um uh trying to push a little bit hard also ian only complained of a, a vibration with the front tire um which suggests that that was probably the cause of the low speed crashes he had but really the contrast with a year ago where there was you know lots of crashes every day was completely different it was um you know about what you'd expect at a test yep and um, was there anything else, David, that uh, caught your eye over the course of the week? Um, well, Al- Alvaro Bautista, really, really quick, really consistently quick as well. Um, that was very impressive. Again, Bautista looks really, really happy. Um, uh, speaking of aerodynamics, Alicia Spargaro said that he'd tried a crazy fairing on the, um, or a crazy looking fairing in the wind tunnel. So that's going to be interesting to see when Aprilia actually roll it out. Suzuki, yeah, Ian only looks fast, but you have to wonder uh, how that's going to translate into um, uh, actually into race pace. His race pace was a little bit weaker than his than the, the than his headline times. Um, it just, it, yeah, the, the, what really struck me was how close everything is, and um, uh, you know, it, it's to be honest, what a good job Dorna have done of actually creating a um, uh, creating a competitive field because we, you know, we've got three factories all capable of, of providing a, a, a world champion we've got um, um, we've got Suzuki who are capable of winning races we've got Aprilia who aren't that far off of podiums we've got KTM we've got uh, Cal on the uh, on the Honda Cal was um, mildly annoying because he wasn't allowed to speak about anything he was testing and so all of his answers were I'm sorry I can't tell you that which was you know frustrating if you're trying to write a story about it Um uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just going to be a cracking season. Yeah, it's it's basically that story of MotoGP. It's the series that keeps on giving. When you look at 2015, we all wondered how you'd top that. 2016 had the nine winners. And uh, just the, the couple of days of testing we've seen so far would really indicate that uh, it's going to be even closer this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be it is going to be an interesting season, um, and I reckon World Superbikes is going to be a pretty good season as well because we from the, uh, the testing which we've seen so far, the Kawasaki still looks strong, but it looks like there's a few more bikes which are more competitive. You were down in Jerez for the test, right? 
Yeah, I was down in Hareth in Portimao, so uh, it was an interesting four days of running, and uh, there was another two days in Hareth after that for Kawasaki and a few other teams, but uh, really the, the meat of the test was the, the four days between uh, the first two in Hareth and the two in Portimao, and it was interesting because it definitely looks like there's been a big step forward made by a lot of people. Yamaha look a lot better. Um, Ducati are going to be strong from the start of the season and uh, Chaz Davis isn't going to have to ride as aggressively as maybe he felt he had to at the start of last year where pretty much in those opening few rounds if he had a sniff of an overtaking move he was trying to make them I think maybe this year we'll see a little bit more patience from Davis just where he knows that the wins will come he knows that uh, maybe settling for you know, a second or a third could be the the best course of action for the season. The Aprilia looks really strong, but uh, the Honda was the big disappointment from the test, and probably the big uh, takeaway from the test was just how, you know, how much it looked like uh, Tenkati were struggling with that bike. Nicky Hayden was uh, probably about as downbeat as I've seen him for a few years. Stefan Bradle was clearly struggling with edge grip and uh, just the electronics from the bike and uh, I think they've got a lot of work to do to get themselves ready for the start of the season it, I mean the, the the Honda is that just a question of um, uh, lack of development because I mean they rolled that bike into their workshop I think in sort of uh, the first week of January um, so obviously they've got a lot of work to do yeah, well, I think um, at the first test in Hareth, I, I'm i not uh, entirely sure on it, but I, I did hear from a few people that uh, Honda only had one engine for each bike. At that test, they had a second engine then for the, the second test. But uh, I think that the big issue for them is they've still got uh, basically a hybrid of 2016 and 2017 bikes. There's a lot of parts on it that are just being carried over from the, the old bike, and that could be you know anything from... The tank at the moment, I think, is still the old tank. They've got, uh, you know, lots of lots of other parts that are carried over. And when you look at the road bike, you can see that it's a big transition from uh, what the the previous generation of bike was. So once they start developing parts, it'll definitely, um, you know, improve the package an awful lot. But uh, they're probably just uh, they're exactly where they should be on the basis that they only got the bikes a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. But they're they're still sort of um, uh, sort of half a season away of actually being of being competitive. Yeah, and I was talking to Stefan about that, and he said that uh, for him, it's not that big of a concern. He saw it with the Aprilia, just how that uh, kind of development cycle would work, and you know he was being patient and trying to just uh, you know not uh, build up expectations for the start of the season. Whereas Nicky's you know thirty five, he's at. Uh, a different point of his career and you could see just a, a little bit of impatience there he knows that the season's starting in a few weeks and uh, I think for him to to hear the team say things like uh, you know it's the start of a development year and we've got to just uh, build up through the season I'd say for a competitor like Hayden it's probably a case of I want to win now and uh, he'll do what he can to make sure that he gets to that point and uh, I think everyone knows how how much of a an impressive work ethic that uh, Nicky Hayden has, but uh, it's definitely going to be something that uh, maybe not in Phillip Island, but by the time we get to Thailand and Aragon, I think that will really hurt Honda. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, quite competitive at Phillip Island just because they'll have two days of testing there. It's the kind of track that uh, promotes close racing as well. So, you know, anything can happen down there, but uh, I think once we get to Thailand, Aragon, that's where we'll really get uh, a true sense of just where the Honda is. 
Yeah, so it's going to be down to 10 Carter to really find some new uh, new parts. What I found uh, quite interesting was um, uh, Marco Melandri was quick. He was much, certainly much quicker than I expected because the last time I saw him, he was being horribly slow on a uh, on an Aprilia Motor GP bike and looking thoroughly thoroughly miserable. Was he uh, looking a little bit more cheerful in uh, uh, in in Jerez? Yeah, a happy Marco is always a fast Marco, and he was, you know, he's, he's settled in nicely in, into the Ducati team, and uh, he just wants to he wants to race and he wants to win. And at the end of the day, he made no bones about it. Whenever he turned up at uh, the 2014 Valencia test on the Aprilia, he didn't want to be there, and he was viewing that as basically I should be in World Superbikes, I can win a World Championship there. If I'm on the MotoGP bike, you know, scoring a point is probably the best that you could wish for at that stage. And uh, I think uh, he's gone back to superbikes and uh, he's just looking to hit the ground running. If you look at uh, 2014, the second half of that season, his last in World Superbikes, he was really strong. A lot of double wins. I think he won he won the double at Sepang and then that set him up to pick up another two or three doubles and uh, really finish the season strong. I think he finished fourth in the championship and most of his points came in that uh, that second half of the year. Uh, what was interesting at uh, the Ducati launch in Bologna was that um, we were speaking to uh, 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 both Davide Tardotti and Paolo Giovatti and they were talking about you know uh, their title aspirations in World Superbikes um, uh, this year. But th- there was it was all um, uh, you know we expect we expect Chaz to win, but uh, very little. There was almost no mention of Marco Melandri, which was. Uh, interesting, yet Melandri is clearly fast enough. So, uh, is there going to be a little bit of um, uh, entertainment in that garage? Is there going to be a little bit of friction? Well, it's going to be a different garage this year, anyway. Like last year, we saw Chaz have just such a, a massive upper hand on Davide Giuliano, but uh, I don't think he'll have that this year with uh, Melandri. There's going to be races where Melandri wins. I think uh, probably consistency will be the problem for Melandri. Just coming back into the championship, he needs to just get himself back up to speed and get himself used to the used to racing at the front again because if you look at what's happened the last few years the key thing really has been just about Jonathan Ray being able just to iron out any of the mistakes during races consistently get on the podium and uh, that's that's where maybe just having those couple of years off for Melandry could come back to haunt him and uh, you know he'll I wouldn't be surprised to see him win you know four or five rounds this year but it is that question of can he do it for 26 races? And it was interesting talking to Eugene Laverty, another returning rider to the to the class, because Eugene was talking about how basically for him on the Aprilia, he feels that uh, you know the bike is strong now after Portimao. They'd ironed out all the problems they had with it, made a real step forward, found a good direction for it. And he's confident of being able to challenge for wins for the, from the start of the season. But uh, Laverty said that uh, you know the. The two years in MotoGP, probably the, the biggest help that they gave him was that uh, he understood that uh, finishing 10th was a good result on any given day for him. And if that was what he could get, if he got 10th, it was a good day. I think uh, whenever he was in World Superbikes in the past, he was always very aggressive looking just to to get the win. Whereas I think now bringing that experience from MotoGP, I think we'll see him settle for some races where maybe he'll just take the podium instead of going for the win or maybe he'll just take a top five instead of just trying to push a little bit harder for a podium and uh, that that uh, you know a bit more maturity could uh, could really see uh, Laverty in as a championship contender as well. 
Yeah, I mean, what I found fascinating was the fact that on the uh, on the first day, I think of the Jerez test, that uh, Lavasi seemed to be struggling terribly. Uh, but by the end of the by the end of the testing, he was um, you know he was he was back uh, back on the pace again. So what what changed? Yeah, he was uh, struggling with uh, breaking stability and uh, chatter. So there was a couple of times I was out watching at uh, it was especially evident at uh, turn six at Jerez where you'd see him run into the corner, he'd pick his normal breaking point, and then he'd try and tip into the corner, and then he'd, he'd realise, no, I need to come back out and break a little bit more. So he just wasn't able to get quite the right uh, quite the right breaking force into the bike stability. And then, as I said, just once he was turned in, just a bit of chatter. But uh, they ironed that out in Portimao after probably half of the first day there. And uh, by you know the second day in Portimao, he was feeling really confident on it. Um, I went down to turn one at one stage, and he was breaking as late as anyone else into there. So, you know, he's uh, he's got it dialed in now. But, uh, you know, Phillip Island, that'll be that'll be an interesting race. Eugene obviously won there on the Suzuki. So, you know, he goes well at that track. The Aprilia always goes well at that track. And talking to the team, like I talked to Mick Shanley about it. And uh, he said, like, expectations will be high for, for the Phillip Island round. But uh, when I talked to Eugene, he was talking in terms of, you know, we'll be strong in Phillip Island. Uh, Haslam was on the podium twice in 2015 on the Aprilia in Chang and uh, Aragon's always been a, a strong circuit for him as well so he's expecting to go through those first three rounds and be a consistent front runner on the podium and uh, really start the European season and the meet of the championship in a strong position. But, but can they beat the, the Kawasaki's though? Well you know, David, from whenever you were at uh, Misano last year, and we were talking to a couple of different riders about it and asking them, like, what's the best bike on the grid? And, uh, you know, a few people surprised us by saying the Aprilia was the best bike on the grid. So you put a rider like Laverty in who, you know, could have won the championship in 2013, only lost out to Tom Sykes in a really competitive season. You put him onto that bike again, and uh, you couldn't rule them out, but it's going to be a big challenge. It's, uh, it's still going to be... Uh, Ray's championship to lose. I think when you talk to most of the most of the fields, they'll they'll all say that uh, he's the double world champion. He's the man with the one plate, and it's up to him. He's the favorite until he until he isn't the favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the the one thing that everyone said about the Aprilia was you know it was the best package. It was the best package on the grid, but the package the the, the key part of that package was having the support from Aprilia, uh, the engineers to actually sort it out. Are they uh, as Mick Shanley and SMR? Are they getting that? Uh, they getting that support? It definitely looks like they are. There was a lot of Aprilia shirts inside the. Well, I say shirts. It was pretty cold, so there was a lot of Aprilia hoodies down inside the box. <laughs> in the in the in the tests in Portugal and Spain and uh, that was definitely one of the the main sticking points was that they they knew that they needed that support and just getting it was crucial and I think when you talk to Laverty you know he's still obviously he's a factory test rider for Aprilia as well so they've bought into the idea of him being back on the bike and Salvadori's been a a favorite son of the team of the factory in, in the last few years as well so, you know, from Italy, it definitely looks like there's a lot of support. Yeah, and Savadori looked to, uh, again, was impressive in terms of the times. He was, uh, uh, you know, he looked like being competitive. So we could have a little bit more of a, uh, uh, a, a bit more of an entertaining season this year. Yeah, I think this season could be really good. Like, uh, we'll, I'm flying down to Phillip Island in, in time for the MotoGP test next week as well. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all coming up pretty fast now. But yeah. uh, that 
that's what's great about uh, World Superbikes. Once you get to the end of February, you've already had your first round. Everyone's back into a racing mode. And it's. Uh, I think this could be a year where we could get some surprises. I think this is the year where, you know, if Johnny's going to be, be challenged, it's this year. Because I think anyone could finish on the podium. Anyone could finish fifth. Anyone could finish seventh on uh, some of these races. I expect that uh, Yamaha will be able to probably fight for a few wins this year. We know that the Aprilia is going to be strong. We know the Kawasaki and the Ducati will be strong. And, you know, if, um, you know, MV and BMW can figure out their packages, maybe they'll have a couple of strong races as well and uh, a couple of podiums because the BMW package, you know, it's still strong. It's just a case of just like with the Aprilia, just getting the right support from it and, uh, you know, getting Munich maybe to buy into the project a bit more. We saw the MV really make a lot of steps forward last year. This year is going to be a big challenge for Leon Camier with uh, the change for um, the split throttle bodies being banned. But uh, he felt that they made a lot of progress over the course of the Port Mayo test with that. Yeah, but, well, yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, it uh, it looks like being uh, quite a deep field, and we get to see how well Johnny Ray gets to uh, can stand up to the pressure if uh, if. If a few people can get some um, good results in the in the early rounds, we we'll, we'll we'll see, you know, perhaps the Aprilias can uh, uh, can score a few points. How how well Johnny uh, or how well Jonathan Ray copes with the pressure if he comes back to Europe not leading the championship? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. You know, it, it we're yet to see Johnny really pushed for a championship. And this could be the year where where we start to see that. You know, last year obviously Chaz was so strong in the in the last four rounds, but uh, you know Ray already had built up a big championship lead. Now we're all back to square one, and uh, he has to do it all over again. And this could be a very different season. That's uh, you know, as as Nicky Hayden always says, that's why you line up on Sundays or Saturdays as well for World Superbikes, <laughs> and uh, you get yourself ready for the start of the season. Yeah. Right, well, I think I'm more or less ready for it. Yeah, well, you, you are off to Italy in the morning, Dave. <laughs> I am indeed. I am I'm going to uh, uh, go and see the um, uh, the Yamaha launch. I'm going to uh, see uh, Mr. Mr. Vandermark and Mr. Lowe's and uh, uh, see what shape they're in. Um, it's quite looking forward and it's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, they're in pretty good shape after the the first test. Uh, it was interesting talking to Vandermark in particular because, obviously, after riding the Honda for so long, he talked about just uh, the difference with the uh, Yamaha and just how much easier it was to turn in. So make sure you ask him a few questions just in terms of the riding style changes that he's had to make. And it was interesting talking to Lowe's as well because this is the the first uh, first time in a long time where he's been fully fit. Uh, last year going into Phillip Island I think the longest run he had done in testing was about seven laps and he's done I think five race simulations in winter so far this year so he's he's a lot stronger a lot uh, a lot more ready for the start of the season as well and uh, with only a couple of weeks to go I think everyone's got to get themselves ready now yeah (laughs) right well that's uh, it hopefully there won't be such a long uh, gap between this uh, between uh, our next um, Paddock Pass podcast I suppose the next time I speak to you you'll be um, in that, that Australia. Yeah well myself and Neil will be flying down next week in time for the, the MotoGP test and uh, I'll be staying on obviously for the, the World Superbike round Neil will be coming home but uh, yeah you'll be talking to the two of us down in, in Phillip Island as well 
Right. Okay. Right. Well, um, uh, have a safe flight and have fun in Australia. I'm sure you'll manage. It's probably much better to go going now than actually going for the MotoGP race, isn't it? Because the sun uh, is actually shining and it's actually warm. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Dave. I got the worst sunburn I've ever had in uh, <laughs> Phillip Island last year. It was kind of like that time when Dylan uh, Gray got heat stroke at uh, oh, Sepang. Yeah. I was I was in an awful state. I was walking down through the through the paddock actually and uh, there was just this bright red traffic light coming down the the paddock and uh, I was actually I was just chatting to to uh, Casey at one stage and he said you know what you need you need cider vinegar on that and I was there like what the fuck are you talking about turns out it's the best thing in the world for sunburn it cleared it up within a day is so, it really yeah um well probably the best thing for sunburn is just to actually use sun cream but uh, yeah, exactly. you know it's not to spend that in the it, sun for several hours <laughs> For Phillip Island in in the uh, in the February test and uh, for World Superbikes is it's even better than than Phillip Island for the GP. The weather's really nice. You uh, you know it's it's lovely and warm. The weather just it's it's like the good days at the Grand Prix, but it's like that every day. So it's yeah. uh, it's ideal. Right. Well, have fun, and uh, we'll talk to you when. Well, we shall talk to each other soon. I would say. Indeed, Dave, and we'll be talking to all the listeners soon as well. We actually had uh, 1.8 million listeners at one stage. Uh, just uh, it doesn't actually say that on the stat sheet, <laughs> but uh, you can take our word for 1.8 million listeners on the last show, and uh, hopefully it'll be uh, it'll only be a week before the next show instead of uh, the five weeks it's been since the Super Prestige show. So thanks everyone for listening, and uh, follow us on facebook at paddock pass podcast on twitter at, at paddock pass pod and uh, you can listen to us on soundcloud and also you can get the show from modomatters.com and from asphaltandrubber.com oh and leave us a rating on itunes indeed dave because the rating is very important to helping other fans find the show exactly <laughs> right um shall we get started you you ready i'm uh i'm as ready as i'm ever going to be a little clap and oh, one two three that was even when there's two of us it's still really shit yeah but it's all about it being equally shit on both sides <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so we'll start off with uh, Vinales and Marquez. 